Hello, and welcome to Real Money Powered by CanStar, a podcast about real people and their real money stories. I'm Effie Zahos, CanStar's editor-at-large, author, and finance commentator. Over the past 20 years plus, I've enjoyed helping Aussies make the most of their hard-earned money. CanStar is Australia's biggest financial comparison site, helping over 10 million people a year compare finance products and make better money decisions. Before we get started, a friendly reminder that everybody's circumstances can be different and nothing we discuss here today should be taken as personal advice. It's always best to make your own inquiries before making any decisions about your finances. Have you ever had a bad day and brought yourself a new outfit? to cheer yourself up? Or maybe you splurged on the latest iPhone because you didn't like the idea of missing out. Now this might be okay for a one-off, but how do you know when your spending behavior is actually becoming a problem? On today's episode, I chat with Natasha who shares her experience with spending addiction. I also tap into the expertise of behavioural economist and psychologist Phil Slade for his insights into what causes people to develop an addiction to spending and what they can do to turn things around. Welcome, Natasha. A few years ago, you had a self-confessed spending addiction. You ended up relying on buy now, pay later schemes to get what you want and were living beyond your means. Sometimes you were trying to get by with just $50 a week. Can you talk me through what things were like for you then? To put it bluntly, it was a little bit of a dire situation in terms of finances. I recognise that now, however, would never have admitted that back then. Afterpay was literally my best friend. Zip pay was my best friend. My credit card was somewhat of a best friend, but it was just spending on anything and everything. It was really the fear of missing out. So it was having to buy because if I don't do it right now, it's not going to be there later. Or if I don't do it right now, I'm not going to be able to wear it on the weekend. So how did it make you feel when you bought these things? I I say like it made me feel really good, but honestly, after it, it didn't. So like I would buy something and it would sit in the bag. You wouldn't even use these items? Not all the time. It was just having it. Give me an example of what you were actually snapping up. Well, I worked in a shopping centre, so it was just whatever was surrounding me. I would say more clothing rather than anything. I worked in shoes at the time, so shoes were massive as well. Food on my lunch break. And the food gave you happiness? Was it the same happiness as buying a pair of shoes? Oh, absolutely. So how did you fund this? Was it funded through buy now, pay later, through credit cards? It was always through the buy now, um, pay later scheme. All of that was funding what I wanted. I would always ask when I went into a store if they had afterpay. And at the time I was working full time. So all of the pay that I got was going to afterpay and to zip pay and all that. It became like a bill. I had to account in my budget for how much I would have to put aside after my wage. It's interesting you were doing the sums on that too, but still you you weren't getting out of that vicious payday cycle. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. I imagine in that situation, you'd get paid, you'd feel in in a rich situation, then off you Mm -hmm. go, and then you're waiting for payday to come back again. A hundred percent. You were saying something along the lines of you were left with some cases $50 a week. Financially, what situation were you in? It was rubbish. Honestly, if I could use more adult words, I would. <laughs> but it was 
quite literally the worst financial situation I've ever been in. And to think back to it, it is honestly so embarrassing. But it was just the enabling of these schemes where it was like, okay, well, I can pay it off in four or I'll pay it off in two weeks. And some credit to myself, when I got paid, I never put it aside for me to spend. It was always bills first. So I would get left with $50 a week, but it was because everything was paid. I would never leave anything overdue or anything that was outstanding but in saying that Mm. I discovered that you could zip pay your bills so I was doing that as well so you took that to another level it's interesting you were saying that you paid your bills but your bills were putting you in that situation in the first place it was that vicious cycle when did you actually realize then that hey this is a problem it was a kind of a light bulb moment Honestly, it was the pandemic. It was like March 2020 when we had nowhere to go, when we had nothing to do. I was like, what am I even spending on? It was a few other factors of like everyone around me was like, oh, my God, another package. Oh, my God, another shopping bag. Oh, my God, more shoes. It's interesting you mentioned the pandemic. I think a lot of people realised, hey, I can actually do better. I think for those of us that lost work or for those of us that just kind of had time to reflect, it was a great opportunity to take a look at our budget. So that's great that you saw that opportunity. So that voice in your head was basically telling you what? It's not worth it. Honestly, I'm left with nothing. I had nothing. I was literally 23 years old. I had no savings. People around me were buying houses, they were buying new cars. So it was literally the embarrassment of the people around me succeeding that I was like, what am I actually doing? You're not alone. You know that, Natasha. Yeah. You're definitely not alone. I mean, even I myself, I've got some serious carnage in my wardrobes from the 20s still sitting there. So (laughs) you're not alone at all. Could any of your friends relate? Did you ever talk about this with your girlfriends? I remember a moment where I was sitting with a group of friends and I did mention a little bit that I had no sort of savings and you didn't even need to say anything. The look on people's faces says it all and I would get a reaction like that that I would never want to tell anyone. So I would never ever tell my closest friends even what was going on because even if we would go out and we would buy something and we would afterpay it together okay, great, you owe $100 on afterpay, but I'm owing 600 Yes. So yeah. it, we're not the same, you know? Well, it's hard to tell what other people's personal situation is really behind closed doors. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, don't think for a minute you're alone in this situation. It's actually a common problem, but it's not talked about often. This is why I've asked psychologist and behavioural economist Phil Slade to join us to chat about this further. Phil is a good mate of mine. He actually provided insights into why we do what we do with our money for both of my books. And he's an author himself and co-founder of Decider. Hi, Phil. Thanks for joining us. Oh, look, it's great to be here. It's great to be talking about something that's so important to talk about because people don't really have a yardstick about what makes you just spending a little bit too much and a shopaholic. And people don't know where that line is. And I think the only way that we can start to bring this problem to people's awareness and and the actual negative impact that it has on people's lives is to talk about it. Phil, you actually said shopaholic. What does that term actually mean? Because I, I don't know how I feel about that term because you, you see it in movies thrown around or people have a laugh. It's often thrown at women. What is this term? Is it a real term? Well, I mean, it is. I mean, 
a holic is is any sort of really addiction, right? So you can be an alcoholic, you can be a shopaholic, and it's, it's essentially it's a word that just means that you've got an addiction to something. Unfortunately, you know, Hollywood has popularized sort of the shopaholic and made it a fun sort of terminology. So it's, it's almost like, oh, you're a bit of a shopaholic. It's a, it's a throwaway line. So terminology can be counterproductive when it becomes too used or too familiar. And I do think that the term shopaholic has the uh, propensity to be too familiar and so it loses the impact and maybe shopping addiction or addiction to spending is maybe something that that you rightly point out might be a a better way to talk about it yeah so you heard natasha's story Mm. some of that behavior is that common it's more common than you think when you look at the research the research will say that 10 to 15 percent of the population has propensity or predisposition to overspending which is a large portion of the population but I, th- I think it's even more common than that because those sorts of research studies rely on people being honest about their spending behaviours. Also, sometimes people that have a greater ability to spend kind of can scratch that is without having a devastating impact on their finances. Now, of course, sometimes the more you earn, the more you spend, and that can be its own pro- problem. I agree. The more you have, the more you can spend. But I think with the uh, enablers in these days, you don't even need to really have cash to spend. I I think you could relate to that, Natasha. Would that be right? Yeah, absolutely. It's what people think about as they're they're spending money isn't necessarily the money they have, but how much capability they have to spend. So what Afterpay and even credit cards, they make it feel like it's your money when it's not. (laughs) And so you're spending someone else's money of which you then have to pay back, but it kind of feels like your money. You find people, for instance, that spend up on one credit card and then get another credit card to pay that credit card off. So they get another credit card to pay that credit card off and you get in this credit loop. But as long as they keep ahead of the loop, they feel like they're on top of the world. And often you don't realize you're in financial distress until you're in extreme financial distress. And that's when you go, oh, wow, there's a problem here. Would that have been your situation, Natasha? Absolutely. In the centre that I was working in at the time, we had to pay for parking. And sometimes I literally could not even fork out $4 to pay for parking. That's how bad it got. And I think even then, still, I was not coming to terms with how bad it actually was. But I knew. I knew in here. I knew 100%. And that would have been hard because you were saying just what joy it did bring Mm. you. So, Phil, the scientific side to that, what is it? What was giving her that joy? We know that when you spend some money and you get something that you want, you get a shot both of dopamine and of endorphins. And they're both two feel-good drugs in the brain. And the brain produces these emotions or these drugs in order to regulate ourselves maybe you're feeling sad what do you want to do you want to feel happy so the body actually goes i'm going to go and do something that makes me feel happy what can i do to make myself feel happy shopping shopping gives me this instant gratification this instant hit and sometimes i noticed natasha when you talked before you were talking about the fear of missing out and sometimes that fear of ostracism as well just more generally you don't want to be caught in a situation where you could not have the right thing to wear and then be considered an outcast or not accepted with your friends or not be considered good enough you know a lot of shopper addiction to shopping <laughs> stop myself using that word comes from depression where you feel depressed about something about your life and you're using that to create the endorphins and dopamine that your body isn't doing already to overcome that depression. It's actually your body in that moment trying to do something productive to give you what you need. And that's true of most addiction. You're addicted to the thing that is helping you 
cope with something that is hard to cope with. You need to understand why you're doing what you're doing in order to be able to then take that next step about what you need to do. Most of us would fall in that pattern too. I know if I've worked really hard on something, it's taken a lot of time, I say, I deserve this. Natasha, would that be something in your case as well? Yeah, absolutely. It, it was just any excuse, honestly. And I think what you were talking about as well, Phil, it, it really is that notion of the fear of missing out. And I feel as though, like, just throughout my whole life, I've always been somewhat behind, whether it be on trends or behind on what everyone is buying or wearing or not even clothing related. I, I feel like in myself, I've always somewhat been behind. So maybe psychologically, I felt that if I was somewhat ahead, it would make me feel better, but it never did. Well, it makes you feel better in the moment, which is the yeah. trick, right? That's the real trick. And interestingly, addictions, like a shopping addiction, where it's a short hit and a lot of what we call buyer's regret. And we see that buyer's regret turns into anxiety. And then you're ruminating, when you go to sleep, you're ruminating and beating yourself up and sort of going, how bad are you? And so there's a shame that comes with it, which then leads to sleeplessness. So then you have less ability to regulate emotions like depression or fear. And so then you go out and you're tired the next day, feeling bad and want to feel good again. So what do you do? You go out and spend some more because then you feel good and then you feel bad about spending. Like that's the loop, right? We can all get ourselves into that sort of loop and you can break that cycle at any moment. How do you break that cycle? There's all sorts of ways and people tend to go down different paths. And so you're finding the right path sometimes can take a little bit of trial and error. But I think this is an emotional problem. You can't deal with it just by rationally thinking about it, right? But when you're in that moment, you've lost your reason. You're actually being now run by your reactive emotional side. And it's your reactive emotional side that is doing the shopping behaviors. And you're doing those behaviors because there's something about the way that you've grown up to overcome maybe a fear of ostracism or a fear of missing out, which speaks to why you're doing what you're doing. What problem is your body trying to solve and so really you've you've got to answer that question because unless you solve the problem that your body's trying to solve you will always go back to those automatic behaviors right you've got to understand why it's helping you and by realizing that it's a body trying to help you you start losing the shame and the guilt and the thing is it's doing what it can because that's what it knows what else can I do to also solve that problem that may not be shopping a lot? And you gotta be careful because other addictions can make you feel good. Often people go from addiction to shopping to addiction to actual drugs or something like that, not because they're gateways to each other, but they're just like, I'm gonna stop shopping, but they haven't solved that initial problem. So their body just searches for another way to solve that problem. Hearing that, Natasha, what would you say to Phil? What parts can you relate to? I can relate to the whole thing, to be quite honest with you. And when I sit and I listen, I'm trying to put the pieces together as to why everything happens. And honestly speaking, I think my body is trying to solve the issue of body image. Even when I was younger, I have always been the, the bigger friend. So I've always been the 12 to 14 and my friends are always the 8 to 10. So I, I guess you could say with the purchases and staying ahead it was like people aren't going to focus on my physical body people will appreciate that i look good or that i feel good in quotation marks you know yeah. if i have the rings and if i have the clothes that everyone's wearing i'm suddenly included and i feel like that 
kind of ties into the fact of missing out, you know, feeling like on the outs of not being the skinny girl, but at least I've got the clothes, you know what I mean? That's really perceptive. I mean, all that you, you, you can actually know that you can actually say that and see that. Were there other things in your environment that you think contributed to your spending? Social media plays a big role. I think that is really a big pressure on people my age, especially, I would say. Women my age, probably more specifically. Because it's not real, is it? No, it's not. It's a highlight reel of everyone's life. Do you still use social media? Are you still tapping into that? Yes, but I'm more conscious of it now. So I I studied marketing, so I know the ins and outs of what businesses do and what influences are like and that it's just nothing is as authentic as you think it is. Yeah, I can definitely relate to what you say with social media and just um, how picture perfect it is and people aspiring to get that lifestyle. And in many cases, it is definitely, I think, feel an enabler to make you want to spend more to kind of achieve that perfect lifestyle, which is not real. Can we blame our environment? I mean, what gets us to that stage? Looking at socials, has that got something to do with it? Yeah, look, it it does. Like people underestimate the power of the environment that controls their choices. It's like if you're wanting to eat healthy, you don't keep chocolate cake in the fridge, right? Because what happens at the end of the day when, Effie, when you get home, you say, I deserve it. What do you deserve? Do you deserve the carrot? No, you deserve the chocolate cake, don't you, right? You deserve the thing that makes you feel good. Absolutely. So you've got to eradicate those things so that it's not a decision that you have to make. So I would say to people, get rid of all the chocolate cake out of the fridge, cut up the credit cards, get rid of the easy spend. There's all sorts of things that you can do to create the environment where it makes it easy for you to make the right decision. And on that, Natasha, I know that you have done quite a lot of that. So where are you now? Well, I don't have a credit card. I physically did cut that up. (laughs) I don't have any of these schemes anymore. Mm. How did that feel when you cut it up? I still at the time had money owing on it, but I knew if I had literally destroyed it, it could no longer control me in a way. So I cut it up. It felt good at the time. It it was a little bit liberating, but when there was nothing owing and I closed the account, that's when it felt really good. Do you have that temptation to go back or have you put that behind you? I don't think you can ever really turn it off. And as much as I'd love to sit here and say, I don't spend money and I have heaps of money behind me and all that, I don't. And I do have money behind me, don't get me wrong. I have a lot more than what I used to have. But I feel like I will always end up falling back into that temptation of spending over my limit, not going back to what I was because I literally can never go back there and I will never go back there. Mm. But there is always the temptation, always. Well, what's really interesting is that you had all these stories that essentially were justifying your behavior, but you kind of knew that you're lying to yourself. And Mm -hmm. that to me is a really powerful statement and a powerful thing that you went through and a powerful thing for people to hear because everyone that's listening to this right now knows areas of their life that they're lying to themselves and they can feel themselves lying it's it's funny because people are like you know be authentic or tell the truth and sometimes you don't know what the truth is you actually just know that you're lying and and so that's that's a really powerful thing that you have done to self-identify that and use that as the starting point to turn yourself around. It's really interesting because if you ask any of my friends and my family, I am probably the most honest person they have ever met. I'm brutal. I will always want to tell you the truth, but I'm never honest to myself. 
So it, it's it's interesting that I'm able to be truthful with everyone else except for me. And, and there's a flip side to that as well, I think. When you're creating a persona that other people see and there's something that you know is real and that it's the perception reality gap is what we call it. And the wider that that perception reality gap is, the more fearful you are of people seeing what's the real you rather than what's the presentational you. And so you start to feed that presentational you, which puts you into all sorts of financial sort of holes and loops as well. And and realizing that the real you is sometimes more lovable than the presentational you. People actually like you. That's the thing that is hard to come to terms with, to go, you've got friends not because of what you look like or what you do, but because of who you are. That's why you've got friends already. And and realizing that just takes that pressure off, but it's hard. It's hard to say to yourself, I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of this affection. I'm actually okay as a human being. You know, it's okay to fall off the wagon at times. It's okay to have cuts and bruises and it's the bruises and the cuts and the sort of the imperfections that actually make you endearing to other people because then they can go, oh, wow, I've got some cuts and bruises and, and things as well. And now all of a sudden you've got honesty and you've got peace creating peace with yourself as soon as you get that peace that seems to resonate with you oh, Natasha. i can yeah. see your face and you're just you're feeling good you're feeling good yeah it's really speaking to me i'll tell you that good i know that people that are in this same situation often the the trigger for them to come to that come to jesus moment is that moment where they realize the impact that their behaviors are having on other people what what impact were you having on other people with your maladaptive sort of financial spending behavior well, it wasn't fair on my partner. And I think I came to terms with that as well. When I think about like what our future life is like, I, I looked at myself in that moment and I was like, if I'm like this in our future, I don't think we will have one. Did your partner realise what situation you were in? Not to the full extent, no. He works in finance. He is the most intelligent person I know. And he would know that I would have the buy now, pay later things. And he would always say to me, get rid of that rubbish. If you need that, then you're spending outside of your means. I used to say to him, oh, you just don't get it. You earn so much more money than me. You know, you just don't get it. When he is the one that gets it. Did that impact your relationship at all? He wasn't happy when I had Afterpay and ZipPay, but he wouldn't know the full extent ever. I would never be honest with him. And I think it would impact our relationship in a sense of I wasn't honest with him. And he will now learn that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to know a little bit more about how you manage your finances now. What system do you have in place? I actually have a piece of paper in my bedside table that has all of my stuff that I need to pay for in the date. And every time I get paid, I've, I've split that amount into weekly or fortnightly. And that pay goes into another account that all the bills are direct debited from. Mm. So I never used to have that ever. So I feel like I have pulled myself out of that. Mm. But there's still something really little mm. that is still there. Mm. You mentioned earlier that you were embarrassed about the situation you were in. How do you feel about sharing this with people to hear now? I feel like if I'd listened to someone like myself back then, I would have a bit of a better grasp on everything. If I can help literally one of my friends or one person, I feel like I've done a good job. 
but I am in a way better position than what I was. Not even way better. Like I am astronomically so much better than what I was. So Phil, what would you uh, say to anyone who's listening and can relate to that, but is probably lying to themselves as well? Look, you know me, I, I love a good five point list. And so I always try to go, what are the five things that people can do to turn that moment around? And this is probably after you've had that come to Jesus moment, as I like to call it, you know, where you realize <laughs> that you're lying to yourself, that you need to turn things around. The first thing is to create an inventory of the things in your current environment that you can get rid of, whether it be credit cards, whether it be disconnecting from social media, whatever you need to do in order to create an environment where there's no cake in the fridge, so to speak. Secondly, create accounts that that have different buckets and sometimes put names on those buckets for what you're wanting to spend and be hard on yourself. So if you're in the same bank and you've got those buckets, but it's too easy to transfer money and then spend it, go to a separate bank and, and have a different bank for your what, what you're paying bills as to what your income and your spending is and have that second bank not accessible on the net or on your phone easily. So you're creating resistance. Third, be transparent with your accounts, share your accounts, try to be less secretive about what you're doing intentionally so that someone else can see, view and monitor what you're doing. If you've got a partner, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever, make sure that they can see exactly what's going on. And that sort of follows into the fourth one, which is you create little accountability loops, people that you can talk to regularly that are going to say, how are you going with that? Are you doing okay? And they're doing it in a non-judgmental way. Usually it is the partner or someone like that because they've got a vested interest in you doing well because it impacts them, right? It's got to be somebody that you trust, but ideally someone else that is also being accountable to you on something that they're struggling with as well. So you've got a dual accountability. And the final thing I say to people is just visualize yourself being better. Instead of ruminating about all the, the, the crappy things that you did today, just keep visualizing yourself in that same situation tomorrow, making a better decision. The brain is this amazing tool where if you just visualize that next situation where you're in a shop or tempted to buy some shoes and not doing it and just practice that like any sports person would practice their sport, you will get better at it over time. I do want to ask you one more question, Phil. If people do need professional help, where's the best place to at least start searching? I say to people, Google is your friend in this instance, just Google uh, Australia Shopaholic Spend and, and that will come up with some great resources. If you like to talk, Lifeline is a great place to ring. There are financial helplines, there's smart money and smart recovery, which looks at financial spending and recovering from financial habits. And strangely enough, as counterintuitive as it sounds, you can talk to your bank, actually go to your bank and say, look, I, I have a problem. I feel like I'm in financial hardship. And as soon as they know you're in financial hardship, they've got a whole range of things that they can do to help you. Natasha, what would you say to your younger self knowing what you know now? It's not worth it. <laughs> it's literally not worth it and nobody cares. The only person that cares is you. <laughs> what would you say now to someone who's in a similar situation? If you know more people did talk about this and you had an opportunity to say something, which you are right now, <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> What I would say to other people is you will be in the same situation in two years' time or even worse. So it, it doesn't get better unless you make it better. And nobody cares. Well done, Natasha. It's great to hear your story. I am glad you're in a much better place. Thank you for sharing it. I, I think last time I spoke to you, I, I said something along the lines that the grass always does look green on the other side. Chances it's mm -hmm. fake. I think a lot of us can relate to what you said today and me included. So I thank you for being honest. 
I'm so glad you're honest with yourself now and sharing what you've learnt. And Phil, as always, just enlighten us as to why we do what we do with our money. So thank you. Like I said, this is really an important topic and I love people being able to talk about it and have the conversation because it is so important. I would just say to listeners, you would have heard Natasha there at the end sort of talk about, I don't care. The reason that's so important is because you're learning to be gracious to yourself and you need to be forgiving of yourself. If you try to do something and you trip up and it doesn't work, just forgive yourself. And, and tomorrow is just about being better than today. It's not about becoming this super person that's perfect all the time and never trips up. Just be gracious to yourself, like yourself. What a revolutionary idea, like yourself. Know that other people like you and forgive yourself. That's okay, don't care. No one else cares. Hold it lightly, just say la vie, you know? Mm, it's what it is. Exactly. I, I think the same thing, Phil, honestly. Mm. Nobody cares and social media is fake. So always <laughs> remember right. that. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we'll all love ourselves. Thanks again, Natasha and Phil. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Real Money with Effie Zahos, powered by CanStar, Australia's biggest financial comparison site. CanStar's experts research and rate finance products from over 30 categories, including home loans and insurance, personal loans, super and investing. To compare products and see if you could be getting a better deal, visit canstar.com.au. As always, you'll find useful links in the show notes, but if you need more information on today's podcast topics or any other money topics, head to canstar.com.au. Do you have a money story you'd like to share? Get in touch with me at effie.zahos at canstar.com.au.